Shelly with Ken Waxberger. Hi, Ken. Hello, Shelly. What How a pleasure are you? to be here. It's such a pleasure to be here with Al, who's going to make sure everything is awesome. And um, that was John Denver. If you want to... Um, I'm So, I don't know when you will hear this episode, but hopefully before people hear this episode, I, I have been making playlists for every... Uh, like book that I read and um, that's on the show. And when you Google songs about hitchhiking or travel, there there's so many great songs. So that's going to be a fun playlist. But that was John Denver that brought us in there. And uh, here's what's going on. I feel like we just need to say this because I'm so grateful that Al and Ken are here because we went to bed last night and woke up and there was seven inches of snow on the ground. And winter came roaring back at us like a crazy bitch. I didn't even know it was coming. So I had another friend that was supposed to come. And she, there was no way she was going to be able to get here. Ken had to drive over an hour and a half, I think. And it was pretty hairy out there. So I'm really grateful for you guys just being here. It's oh my good gosh. to be here. I raked leaves yesterday. Today I'm shoveling snow. Oh, man. Yeah. I've, I've, I totally... Uh, Push broomed off my car twice today already. Like, did it, went back inside, did a few things, came back out, it was completely covered. It's shocking to remember what winter is like. It's crazy. So, um, I'm so excited to have Ken Waxberger. Al, you're in for a treat because Ken's book most personifies what this show is about. It is an encapsulation of all the reasons that I do this show. Um, Ken, Ken and I met uh, five years ago or so at a networking meeting, and he was the book coach and writer of the group. And we became friends, and he was always at uh, women in business, uh, cannabis business networking meetings, and he wrote articles about them for their blog and um, has very much been in that scene. And so, and... He was a hitchhiker in the 70s and 80s, and this is sort of his memoir, and uh, um, among, among other things, he's uh, written a book with another really good friend of mine, uh, Christy Lynn Davis, uh, called High Kicks and Tall Tales. Yeah. High Kicks and Tall Tales, about her being a, um, a rocket. He coached her through that, and he has another book um, about uh, being a partner who helps your spouse through cancer. His wife, Emily, went through breast cancer, and he wrote a great book Correct, about yeah. that. He wrote a book called Never Be Afraid, and it's a tale of a Belgian Jew in the French Resistance. Belgian Jew right? who posed as a Christian and fought in the Maquis, which is the French Resistance. Yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing book. And that was my second yeah. Holocaust book, yeah. too. Yeah, and you can find these books on a Zinfony Press. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, so uh, in this book, Ken uh, also, his his character, Hitchhiker Henry, um, has his first weed experience and uh, and it and it changes the game. It changes the game for him. Um, so we're going to talk all about that. But first, I wanted to start with this. So I was on Facebook this morning and saw this. Uh, have you ever read the letter that Charles Bukowski wrote to his friend 
when he started writing for good. I'm familiar with it, yes. Yeah. So uh-huh. this is another thing that reminds me of this book, right? Because basically Charles Bukowski, when he was 49, he had been writing a lot, but he was still kind of, quote, nine to fiving. And one of his friends said, I'll pay you $100 a month to only write. And, and he quit. And he was 49. And so... Um, and he lived off $100 a month? Uh, here, I'll see what the story is. Let's see. Da, da, da. It was 19, maybe it was $100 a week. That would make more sense, you think? I can't tell when this was. Um, Back then, $100 a week would not have been bad money. Right, right, right. So it would have been... Uh, 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 I'll try to find it. I'll try to find it. Okay, um, yeah, so it's either $100 a month or $100 a week. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Black Sparrow Press... Publisher's novel. Uh, I had it. I had it in another article, but August twelfth, nineteen eighty-six. Hello, John. Thanks for the good letter. I don't think it hurts sometimes to remember where you came from. You know the places where I came from. Even the people who try to write about that or make films about it, they don't get it right. They call it nine to five. It's never nine to five. There's no free lunch break at those places. In fact, it, at many of them in order to keep your job you don't take lunch then there's overtime and the books never seem to get the overtime right and if you complain about that there's another sucker to take your place you know my old saying slavery was never abolished it was only extended to include all the colors and what hurts is the steadily diminishing humanity of those fighting to hold jobs they don't want but fear the alternative worse people simply empty out they are bodies with fearful and obedient minds the color leaves the eye the voice becomes ugly and the body and the hair the finger nails the shoes everything does as a young man i could not believe that people could give their lives over to these conditions as an old man i still can't believe it what do they do it for sex tv an automobile on monthly payments or children children who are just going to do the same things they did early on when i was quite young and going from job to job i was foolish enough to sometimes speak to my fellow workers hey the boss came in here at any moment and lay us all off just like that don't you realize that they would just look at me i was posing something they didn't want to enter their minds now in industry there's vast layoffs they're laid off by the hundreds and thousands and their faces are stunned i put in 35 years it ain't right i don't know what to do oh this is much longer than i thought i'm going to skip um oh it's almost done um ba, ba, ba. So the luck I finally had in getting out of those places, no matter how long it took, has given me a kind of joy. The jolly joy of the miracle. I now write from an old mind and an old body, long beyond the time when most men would ever think of continuing such thing. But since I started so late, I owe it to myself to continue. And when the words begin to falter and I must be helped up stairways and I can no longer tell a bluebird from a paperclip, I still feel that something in me is going to remember, no matter how far I'm gone, how I've come through the murder and the mess and the moil to at least a generous way to die. To not to have entirely wasted one's life seems to be a worthy accomplishment, if only for myself. So the reason why I wanted to read that is because this book um, is about Henry battling with uh, either becoming a 
just staying a good boy who makes good grades and has a good job and the community loves and respects him or wanders around the country and writes. And this is, this is the choice that a lot of people make. And so, um, all right, so I'm going to give you a minute now just to talk about, like, who Henry is and uh, and how much of you is in this book. So take it away, Ken Waxberger. Okay, well, Henry is, uh, I'm, I'm throughout the book, uh, as part Henry, part other characters. Uh, the beauty of fiction is it takes fact and, and uh, gives you a chance to go beyond the fact. Uh, so, so Henry is, in, in a certain sense, an alter ego, but... Um, it's it's based on journal. I I kept the journal uh, religiously for many many years, and uh, you know in in real life some things happened that were almost hilarious, almost tragic, uh, and so with fiction you can make it hilarious, you can make it tragic, you can go to the extreme, uh, and so the, and that's what a fictional autobiography is. So it's it's partly that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm throughout it. Certainly, the the, que- the questions though were mine. You know, trying to to figure out uh, what to do with your life. Uh, you know, being a writer, what does it mean to be a writer in society? Uh, if you write crap but you get paid for it, are you a writer? Uh, if you write what you would write for nothing because you love it so much but don't get paid anything, are you a writer? Uh, you know, what does it mean? In other words, uh, the the ultimate fantasy I realized was to write what you would write for nothing. And get paid for it. Uh, yeah, that, that's the vision. But uh, but to get there, you got to write crap sometimes. You know, press releases, web text brochures. I've always done a lot of those. I've always been very good at them. But I've never woken up in the morning going, "Wow, I can't wait to write a press release today." Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it just wasn't that. But it paid well. Um, and then I've also written uh, fiction and poetry that didn't get. I didn't get paid anything for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gave me a lot of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and then in the middle of that is is writing what I love writing and getting paid for it. Yeah. Uh, and the beauty is I'm doing more of that now. Yeah. 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 So the setup of this book is Henry's a young man, 22. Give or take. Sure. 22. And. Uh, He's still in college at this point when the book begins. He's still begins. in college. He kind of wants to drop out. He works a job. Uh-huh. And uh, how he gets on the road, he kind of like wakes up and you realize he needs to go check out a car. He's thinking about buying a car. And he ends up in the car with a man and his son, Ed and Bill. Ed and Bill, yeah. Right? And they say, let's go take it for a test drive. And they end up, and they're in the Midwest. They're in Michigan. Uh, getting ready to go do the test drive. And uh, then they're on their way to Austin, Texas. They take Texas. it down to Austin, Texas, they right. They take it down to Austin, Texas. And this is his first kind of like get, just getting on with his adventure. And that leads him to um, meet a hitchhiker, interact with hitchhikers, stay with people, you know, start his adventure, get arrested, become an activist, Fall in love, get hurt, all these things. So, um, when I, I remember when I first talked to you about this book, I asked you if this was you. So, tell me about hitchhiking in the seventies and eighties. There was a whole community of hitchhikers back then. Nowadays, you may see a hitchhiker every now and then, uh, but it's seldom. 
Uh, it's just the, t- the times are different, you know. But back then, there was a whole culture of hitchhiking. It was pretty amazing. Uh, for me, that was the way I got around. Uh, it was no major adventure. You know, one day I decided to hitchhike. It's all the time. Uh, if I went just to the store or if I went all the way across country, uh, I hitchhiked. That's just the way I did it. Uh, but there was a community of people. Uh, you'd see, uh, and of course, the VW van, the v- VW microbus. That was the uh, mm-hmm. the stereotype. But it was there. They were there. You know, the mm-hmm. with the, with the tie dye uh, painting on them, mm-hmm. uh, and you open up and and the door and a whole waft of smoke comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was real for sure. Uh, so there was a whole community of hitchhikers. It was very nice. Uh, the 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 um, freeway entrances would be lined with hitchhikers it was a challenge to get a ride so you had to be creative um or be with a pretty woman that was the reality yeah uh, yeah so uh but but uh yeah there was uh it was uh, uh all over the country that's mm-hmm. what it was yeah i i think i told you this before this book made me nostalgic for something that i never got to do i uh-huh. Uh, it seems like, oh, wow, I wish we lived in a time. Um, and then I talked about Beaver Island. Remember? Uh, yeah, so yeah, sure. Beaver Island is this little island off the, uh, you know, kind of you take a ferry or a plane from Charlevoix out to this little tiny island. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been there the last two summers. And there you do get in the car with anyone. And when you first get there... The first time someone offers you a ride, it seems weird and scary. You're like, should I get in this truck with this stranger, you know, who half the door is missing and there's a dog, you know. And mm-hmm. then by the second day or even later that day, it just makes sense. You just get in the car with anybody and you offer a ride to anyone. Well, the beauty is it always made sense. Yeah. Uh, but but that was because the vibes were right then. The vibes were right. So, I yeah. mean, I mean, it's beautiful to get in the car with someone you don't even know. Yeah. Just start uh, just talking travel to travel across country, get high together. Yeah. You know, it was just such a spirit of, of love and brotherhood and sisterhood. Yes, yes. Man. So, you know what else I was thinking about today with just um, current political state of affairs and very heated kind of coming into an election year and people protesting all around the world. And when you and I first talked about this book, I said, you know, it's so current and it's so, and, and it was almost made you sad because you're like, when you when you're an activist who protests, you kind of want to think like we should have fixed that it's, by it's now. It's getting better by now. Yeah, <laughs> it should be better yeah. by now. You know, you shouldn't feel that suppressed. You shouldn't feel that much pressure to conform, and people still do. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't maybe feel like you're tied like a slave to a nine and five, which a lot of people still do. Um, maybe you feel like you should be able to trust the government to represent you in a certain way, and. You know, for some people, maybe they do feel like that. But the, mm-hmm. I feel like it's so current and fun just because it's the same struggles. I mean, for better or for worse, it's different. Yeah, well, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it's still current. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the, the reality is that there's a certain cyclical uh, flow. Yeah. You know, things get better, things get worse, better, worse. And, and some things are better now than they used to be. Yeah. Other things are worse. Yeah. You know, yeah, and we yeah, got a lot yeah. to got a lot to fight for still. Oh, I know. I know. So. Yeah, so um, I'm going to get this out of the way because we started talking about things to fight for. So I've been in the last month or so working for the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. And on this past Friday, we went and visited um, six businesses in Kalamazoo. And they were referrals. You know, we called this one guy that already is a supporter of our association. And, 
you know, which basically wants to promote a free and fair market and that doesn't have crazy hard to follow laws and people aren't being raided and you you know just trying to make it real logical and fair and you know what i mean let everybody play well together and that's not a lot of people are into that you know what i mean so we've got this really what could be a super cool peaceful industry emerging um but there's still monopolies there's still greed there's still you know, it's like there's those people who've been in the trenches for 30 years and they're coming into it just because, like, why not become legit and do my thing now? I'm an expert in it. I've been growing for 20 years, whatever it is. And then other people that just are busting in, like, it's any widget that you can make money off of. Right. Well, it's, it, it's nice that the market is so big. You know, when, oh, I, it is. when I go oh, to it Women is. Grow meetings, uh, I see people from all ages, oh, but, yeah. but in particular, I see a lot of young people. Uh-huh. And, I, and I look at them, I'd go, you know what, if it wasn't for the cannabis industry, they'd probably either be unemployed or yeah. they'd be working at, you know, a low, mm-hmm. low hourly job. Yeah. Uh, and now they're, they've got their own businesses. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether they're rich or not, they, they still have that feeling of pride that oh, comes yeah. with owning their own business. Oh, yeah. Uh, and plus, there's a whole community of people working together. And mm-hmm. through that, you know, they can all grow together. Uh, yeah. It's exciting. It's very exciting to me. Yeah. Well, and in the last week, so when I was at uh, visiting all those businesses, it was the first time I'd been in a testing lab. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible because, you know, you think, oh, okay, well, what are we fighting for? We're fighting for... Um, you know, access to medicine. We're fighting for lower barriers to entry for people that aren't so financially based, you know, and we're fighting for making things fair and we're fighting for making them safe for consumers and mm-hmm. and, and there's all these things. But then um, I never thought about the testing of the product. I mean, I thought about it a little bit. You want it to be safe. You don't want to have mold and whatever in it. And And so the woman we went to see printed out and laid out the current ways that she is supposed to be testing for what kind of microbes, what percentage off can it be from the mean or whatever. Mm -hmm. And her frustration, you could just see it in her face, was, and everybody I met with all day, they have this really strong desire to do good. You know, they're in things, they're in it for good reasons. They're in it for health or they're in it for freedom or whatever. And what the problem is is these really strangely written rules that are hard to follow, that sort of set certain groups of people up to fail, you know? Yeah, the rules are very old world. Yeah, old and, well, world. And, and they're like, uh, it's hard for people who grow really great weed to even pass those tests. <laughs> and it could just be not because anything's wrong with the weed, but because the way the test is done, you know, mm-hmm. the way they're supposed to be doing the test. And so I sat there with her and this woman in my organization who... I realized, like, oh, they can solve this problem. That's what's cool about the position I'm in, is, like, as this industry is developing, we get to listen to the people and then take that to the lawmakers and be like, we have to make this better. (laughs) This is ridiculous right here. And then, um, you know, meeting with people who have been raided or have been you know, traumatized in the past because the industry and, and now right. getting those and have social records that haven't been expunged yet. Right. Right. They're yes. waiting, but also getting a social equity grant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right, right. The, the, the social equity program set up to, um, ba- basically the social equity program in cannabis means that if you have been unfairly punished by your involvement in something that is now legal, 
like you went to federal prison for four years, like my friend Ryan. Ryan got a social equity grant because he went to federal prison for four years. All oh, right, good for him. You know, to you've probably met him, Ryan Basor. Yeah, oh, sure. Met him. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, and now mm-hmm. he's now his brand is Redemption. Okay, there you Isn't go. Isn't that an amazing good one. name? And um, anyway, so social equity means like someone who's unfair, been an unfairly, you know, impacted by criminal justice system in regards to cannabis, gets an opportunity to step into the industry and. Um, Meaning hiring felons, um, letting that be okay, expungement, things like that. So it's fun to be in that mix because I've realized I'm not afraid to tell someone something is ridiculous <laughs> and ask them to be better. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not afraid to listen to everybody's, do you know what I mean? It's being in a swirl of constant information and having to translate that into change or better standards or whatever it is. So um, that is where I'm coming from because uh, a lot of, I, I think I do want you to read a little section of where Henry first gets smokes weed. Okay. And kind of, let me explain, um, and you can read, read a, a, just a little section. He, here's the fun part about this, is that, um, so Henry's in a car going to Austin, and he sees this hitchhiker, picks him up, the other two guys in the car are asleep, the hitchhiker offers him weed, and it's kind of like his whole life flashes before his eyes. <laughs> he He realizes... If he smokes weed, he can never go back, and his life will be over, and his parents will be disappointed, and he'll lose his mind, and he'll start robbing places, and his panic is so big, because then he'll have a record, and then he'll, you know, all of this stuff, and then he smokes weed for the first time, and the experience is completely different, Uh, and it's great. That's why this is a great book to have on the show. So, Ken, did you find it? Well, I, I see it. I'm just trying to find one He's trying to find a one good portion to read. Yeah, is, uh, yeah. And you can set it up. Like, he just realized this. Or, yeah, I'll do that. Hold on. Yeah, give yeah, me, yeah. Give me just a no second. Problem. Um, no problem. You ready? Uh, well, let me just let me just start reading and we'll see what happens. Oh, okay. Sure, rock out. So, um... Okay, so, uh... Okay, Ed and Bill are sitting, sleeping in the back seat. So uh, it begins, Ed snored and then Bill snored. My eyes glanced at the, at the rearview mirror from one to the other. A commercial came on, came on, and I was presented a 30-second silent film sequence wherein a young man with curly hair and a long nose, okay, that's the stereotype of a Jew, which I am, uh, <laughs> although I don't have a long nose, drop, but I got the curly hair, Drops out of school, and in spitfire rapidity, he smokes a joint that is given to him by a Puerto Rican junkie. He murders a high school couple while hitchhiking. His father has a heart attack and dies. His mother leaves him a note that says, After all I've done, you should know from. Don't forget to wash behind your ears. Love, Mom, and commit suicide. <laughs> oh, no. And he get, it goes on to harder stuff and jumps off a bridge while high on heroin. The last picture shows a Mexican boy with his front tooth uh, with his front tooth standing in, oh, I'm sorry, with, with one front tooth standing uh, in the middle of a field of Acapulco gold saying, you don't have to be Jewish to know why they call it dope. Zoom, a beer truck passed me on the curve. My grip on the steering wheel tightened. I saw Papa pointing his finger at me. 
No son of mine would ever take drugs, she said. He gave me a dollar for my straight-A report card and patted my brain. But why should I waste words? I know you would never disappoint me like that. No, I said to the hitchhiker's offer. The hitchhiker had offered him a a joint by this time. Um, He stuffed the joint in my mouth anyhow. I gasped and inhaled. (coughs) I coughed. My eyes turned red like electric pimentos. I got the hiccups. My God, what have I done? My throat was a desert cactus. My brain was a rainbow balloon. My stomach was a double bean burrito. I felt guilty. The hitchhiker inhaled off that same joint. A ghoulish laugh blew smoke through the gap in his front teeth. He looked at me like he was a fart in church. My God, I thought he wasn't even high yet. Or was he? What with chromosomal damage and all, maybe he was always high. He might kill me to get a fix and not even know it. I almost screamed, but I didn't want to wake Ed or Bill. He took a long, ominous puff. I looked away and unrolled the window. What are you worried about, your chromosomes, he asked. I denied his allegations emphatically, then felt my nose to see if it had grown. I suppose you don't have to escape reality then. That's right, I said. I sat firm. I felt proud of my morals. My folks worked hard to make me a man, and I don't want to disappoint them. Well, good, he said. A man of his convictions. Society needs more people like you. He took another long breath of smoke, then exhaled. I, however, am one of the deviants. Surely you've read about me. I stuck my neck out the window to ensure my lungs some fresh air. I thought of fleeting fume, fame, and I'm sorry. I thought of fleeting fame and fetid fumes. I asked what I must have read. My mind, he answered, with the determination of an insurance salesman. His eyes were on fire. Mind, your own business. Your business is to know what's on my mind. He took another breath, a slow one this time, with his lips sealed tightly around the neatly rolled burning square of paper. I counted to ten before he stopped. His eyes were bloodshot red by seven. I ducked my head out the window for fresh air at eleven. He coughed and hacked and wheezed beginning at twelve, and he didn't come up for air until twenty-three. Good (laughs) grief, I shuddered. He's tripping. Allow me to introduce myself, he resumed calmly. I am artificial. Wait, 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 wait. So, so hold on a second. I wanted to stop right there because I was hoping you would say the name artificial. <laughs> because the first time I read it, I, I, I remember I told you when we talked about it once that um, I loved all the names, right? Uh-huh. And it wasn't until last night, reviewing it, that I realized it was artificial. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I couldn't see it before. But I also wanted to ask you, was the first time you got high with a hitchhiker you picked up? Or no? Um. No, actually, the first time I got hitchhiked, uh, when I got high, was when I drove with a friend. I hit the road with a friend. Uh, yeah. And uh, we drove up to Big Sur, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. And, um, oh, no, 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 no. The first time I got high, we were, we were in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, were, we were tubing on the Salt River. Tubing is... Oh, wow. When you tube... Which, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, you know what tubing yeah. is. Okay, uh, you know, we have, we'd have a, a six-pack of beer yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. connected to the back, and they, but that was before the environmental area. we drink and throw it in the water. Oh, my God. But, yeah, yeah, okay, so yeah. Uh, you, you got a lot to grow from. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I had never gotten high yet, so I didn't have any consciousness of what that means. My friend, right, on right. the other hand, uh, and I'll tell you about him in a second, but my friend was... was uh, 
a wild man at that point. Uh-huh. And um, we saw a few hippies on the side of the on, on, on the the bank, uh-huh. and so we we pulled over. And my friend started talking whatever you have to talk to get to know hippies. And, um, and so they offered us uh, a joint. Or uh-huh. not a joint. They offered us, uh, they were smoking out of a, a bowl. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so they, they gave us, uh, but, but th- that's when I had all the head trips. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, once, you know, it, 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 up to that point, I could say I've never so smoked panic, pot. And so the panic was real. It was real. Oh, absolutely real. Oh, yeah. Absolutely real. I mean, yeah. up until that point, I could say I've never smoked dope. Yeah. Once yeah, you smoke, you. you can say I only smoked once, but you can never say I've never smoked dope. Right, right, You right. know, and, yeah. and that, was a, that was a big point because yeah. once you smoke once, well, then you might as well keep on going. Right. But, uh, well, and you know what's interesting is I, I didn't think about this last time we talked, but I, uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint... I don't know. I don't know if I can pinpoint. What, the first time? Yeah. I no, don't that, think that so. one jumped right out at me. And, and the funny wow. thing was, uh, m- my friend was, was um, to say eccentric, that's, the, that's barely uh, right, to touch right, it. Right, right, right. But uh, when we finished smoking, he drank the water. In, oh, gross. In the, uh, that's what I thought. Oh, gross. Oh, God. Well, well here's, here's what's funny. You know, I just. I just um, uh, got, you know, just recently, the summer, I went to my 50th high school. Reunion. Oh wow! And um, and so I contacted him because I knew he hadn't he hadn't signed up to come to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's kind of I guess pulled himself away from the the. And was this in Michigan? No, this is in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio. Okay, yeah. got you, got you. Okay, and that's where I grew up. But um, but suddenly I called him up, you yeah. know, to to try to talk him into coming because I hadn't seen him in years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't want to come, and I kind of suspected he wouldn't. I'd heard about him, right. but anyhow, we started talking, and I reminded him about this time when, when I'd gotten high for the first time and he'd drunk the water. Uh, yeah. He denied it vociferously. Oh, really? He said, oh, there's no way I would have done that. He, oh, my god! And, and I thought to myself, okay, maybe he's, he had a little too many. What, what happened was um, somewhere through the years there, he became a, a very, very staunch right-wing Republican. Oh. Uh, he became an investment banker. He did quite well, apparently. Oh. Uh, he's retired now. Oh, he's been retired for a long time. Right. But uh, so so maybe he remembered and just didn't want to acknowledge wanna, it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he just forgot it. You know, of himself that way. some things are so traumatic, you put them out of your mind and you do forget them. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that's what happened with the, the book I bought, wrote about uh, you Never Be Afraid about the Belgian Jew. Yeah. Uh, through my interviewing, I enabled him to break through some memories that he had literally repressed. Oh, uh, wow. So this was similar to that, I thought. I mean, I didn't know for yeah. sure, but clearly, yeah. I mean, that, that memory is so vivid in my mind. I can, I can see the whole, I can almost remember what we were wearing then. It was so oh vivid. Oh, my gosh. It was uh, very he, emotional he denied, for you. you oh, remember sure. remember things that are more emotional. And you know? he denied that it even happened. I mean, it oh, happened. It happened. There's no way, but. Well, um, okay, okay. So now he's in the car, he's high, and he's starting off on this adventure, and you kind of, get the sense right that like that guy wasn't even real mm-hmm. right so he it's like he his got his passengers he's driving at this point his passengers sort of wake up and he uh says hey did you see that guy you know and and they don't know what he's talking about he's right? not even there at that point he's yeah. not even there he's back on the side of the road and yeah. um and so that was uh I wanted to stop you to talk about artificial. Oh, sure. and I wanted to ask you about another name because I just was looking at things I marked. Um, the uh, Here's another one that I didn't realize upon first reading is you're on your way somewhere and you have to stop at this giant 
shopping center. Caveats. <laughs> and it's called Caveats. <laughs> and there's this whole story about being at Caveats and how the guy used to work there, but now he protests. And you have to get in the Caveat Mobile and drive around <laughs> because it's so huge. And all you wanted was like a strap for your sunglasses. Uh-huh. Is that right? Like, and it takes this whole chapter about like being at Caveats. <laughs> and I lo- re-looked at that last night and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. Like, it's a caveat. I get it. I get it. I didn't even get it the first time. Oh my God, I love that so so much. Um it was such a great, oh my God, I love that. So, okay. So, um, I'm trying to stay focused for time's sake, Ken. Shoot. No, I understand. I understand. Um, for your sake, you know. So, um, all right. Uh, and now I have all these other questions. Okay. So, uh, now they're on the road. Um, they first go meet um, Bill's. Like hometown girl Peggy, Peggy is yeah. that her name? Uh-huh. And so this is this is Henry's first encounter, really, with just like a bunch of kind of hippies living veterans together, from the 60s, you're veterans right. living together, and kind of this lifestyle. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um. Well, the the the. Uh, Bill and Peggy. Peggy's a very much. Uh, she's artistic. She's uh, she's the, the the hippie chick, I guess you could say. Although although chick belittles her. I don't want to say that. She was uh, uh, she was a hippie woman. Uh, she and and Bill were a couple for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, they ultimately break up. Right. Um, and uh, but she was the hometown girl next door too, right? To, to, to Bill, yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Right. And so. And what's great is this is also, isn't it through her that you end up going to the protests? Well, well, yeah, with the puke in. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so he, they're there, and really, like, he's, Bill is kind of there to win her over, and it doesn't quite work out, and then Henry ends up on his own. And I don't know if it's when he's still there, when Bill is still there, or when Henry's on his own, that he ends up getting to know these people and kind of staying there and going to the puke in. Is that when it happened? Or does it happen later? They were still together at the puke in. Oh, Bill and Peggy were still together. I, I, I think the they were. I think they okay. were. Yeah. Well, so if it's been you... a while since I read the whole book. I forgot some of the details. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. so I can't remember if it happened now or later. But so um, it's interesting how the more things change, the more they say the same. Um, there's protesting <laughs> about. Uh, you know, there's protesting about war. There's protesting about corruption in government. There's protesting about unfair laws and it's all very familiar so uh the crew decides to stage a puke in which is like if you think of a sit-in a teach-in a uh, whatever it's (laughs) p-u-k-e-i-n a puke in hyphen gotta have that hyphen hyphen hyphen. yes and and so this uh, you actually went to one of these right I organized it. He organized yeah. it. And so tell the story of the puke in. And you can either read it or just tell me what it's based well, on. Well, let me, let me tell you a bit of it. Um, okay. Because it, it, it's from a classic period. It takes, uh, I mean, it was, now the book takes place in the mid 80s, but um, the actual puke in took place in 1972. Uh, that, that summer, the Democrats and the Republicans both held their. Uh, presidential conventions in Miami Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know why they both f- took the same city, but um, 
but they were both there. And so that made it fairly easy for anti-war people because we just set up camp in Miami Beach and spent the whole summer there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but um, the, the media was a big thing. Now, nowadays, media is everywhere. I mean, with the social mm-hmm. media, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is on media Everybody's all media. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but back then, it was, it was not as – we weren't using it yeah. as well. And, mm-hmm. and a group called the Yippies – uh, youth, it stands for YIP, Youth International Party. They became known as the Yippies. Oh, um, yeah. If you heard of, of uh, Chicago 68, mm-hmm. that's when the, the, the dem- demonstrators, uh, uh, the police riot in, in, uh, in Chicago, hmm. um, that was when the, the, the uh, young people came to Chicago to demonstrate against the war. That was outside of the, the Democratic party. Uh, presidential convention this was 68 okay. Okay. Uh, humphrey hubert humphrey was was the candidate then okay. uh, mayor daly was was the mayor of chicago yeah um and he wanted to, he opposed the the demonstrators very much so when they came mm-hmm. he wouldn't give them permits instead he raided them you know and there were police right, riots right. and and then you you had the chicago trial which followed that the right. chicago seven or the chicago eight uh, it was known as both for one reason or another. Yeah. But um, but the the Youth International Party, the Yippies, with Abby mm-hmm. Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, mm-hmm. uh, Stu Albert, these were some of the people. Paul Krasner, uh, these were the big names of the Yippies. But Abby and Jerry were two of the Chicago Eight. And and, and now they're in, in 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 this part of the story, they're in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. That was in 1968. 1972, four years later, uh, Abby and Jerry and the other yippies from Chicago 68 were now kind of elder statesmen. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And those of us coming to town, we were the younger yippies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but but the idea of getting media was still important. You had to, the idea was that that any media at least got the attention. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. you could could deliver your message that doesn't do any good unless you get the media. Yeah, yeah, And so you had to be creative to get the media and uh, so that whole summer was was a media game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Pukin was was one of those. Uh, we it was in front of the Fountain Blue Hotel, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, well, let me read it. Let me yeah, read yeah, that yeah. section. Okay, it'll, it'll be better. Um, what page is it? Uh, it's on uh, twenty-five. Okay. Oh, okay. It was early on. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, uh, the, the the setup to this is. Uh, Bill runs into an old anti-war buddy. His name is Merritt, M-A-R-I-T. And they recall when the, the, the summer of 1972. And uh, so anyhow, the week before the Pukian, Bill said, an undercover yippie had infiltrated the Republican organization and ripped off their schedule of activities. So the yippies knew the Republican National Committee was holding their platform meeting at the Fountain Blue that morning. Immediately afterward, they were to have a reception. We thought it would be a righteous act to make them as sick about eating as we were about their existence, Bill said. He pointed to a small box on a shelf. They're, they're at caveats right now. Uh, he, he, he pointed to a small box on the shelf in the drug department as we passed it by. That's the stuff we used, he said. Ipecac. Ipecac, he explained, was a non-prescription medicine that doctors gave to patients who drank certain poisons to make them puke it out. A pharmacist said it usually took about five minutes for the Ipecac to take effect. So nine yippies bought one bottle apiece. For lunch the next day, they each ordered a cake, I'm sorry, a Coke and a large pizza with green pepper, sausage, and extra cheese to make sure the Ipecac worked. Then they drove to the hotel. 
the Zippies, that was another anti-war group, were already there having their own demonstration. So the Yippies thought they could sneak around the back without being seen. Weren't they being devious, said Merritt, speaking for the first time beyond our introduction. He was quieter than Bill and had a wry sense of humor that delivered obvious sarcasm with a deadpan expression. They were the only ones in the hotel who weren't wearing suits or dresses. The Secret Service men couldn't figure out what they were up to, so they trailed them from behind. Bill continued, We divided into two groups and snuck around the back, walking, uh, walking along the beach and meeting by the tennis courts. We took one gulp apiece and moved in. In the five minutes it should have taken us to puke, we were upstairs outside the meeting room, with no nausea, just a guard. Do people have room keys, he asked. We started fumbling around in our pockets, trying to act like we couldn't find them. Then we saw the cops, and one of us split, and the guard started shouting, out, 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 and so we all split out the front door. As it turned out, the guard stopping us was the best thing that could have happened, Bill said. If uh, if it had gone like planned, no one would have known we we were even there. You see, he said, the whole summer was a media game. Nixon wanted everyone to believe that everyone else was satisfied with his performance, so no one would be the lone dissident. So he tried to cover up our activities. We wanted to get media any way possible to let people know we were down there, so it was just as well we got kicked out. We were led out to where 60 zippies were rallying in front of cops, fat cats, old people, and all kinds of media to do the work for us. Still, although five minutes had long since passed, the Ipecac had not yet taken effect. Bill figured it wouldn't be long, so he borrowed the megaphone. Bill straightened his back now to speak. This is what I said. He cupped his mouth with his hands and cleared his throat. People, I have an important gut-level statement to make. We're from the people uptight about killings everywhere, P-U-K-E. And we want to talk to Richard Nixon and to all you Republican fat cats. We want to let you know that we're tired of your lies and your deception. You promised us jobs and you gave us the wage price freeze. Bill paused and said to me, the cameras were on me the whole time I was talking. Meanwhile, I kept looking to the side to see if anyone was looking nauseous. Everyone was just looking befuddled. So I kept talking. Again, he spoke through cupped hands. You've wired all our phones so we can't even make a phone call, a private call. And now you've just finished your National Platform Committee meeting where we all know you made plans to bring us more CIA heroin, more bombed dykes, more drowned babies, more napalmed innocent citizens. And then I looked at Phil, the skinny kid everyone thought was a cop. He might have been, but he was a hero that day. He was getting pale and was starting to gag, so I led into my, my conclusion. He cupped his hands. And now you celebrate, feast, banquet, eat all you want. You can afford it. After all, it was paid for with our tax dollars. But don't ask us to join you. We've eaten enough of your shit. The cameras were still on me, Bill continued, watching my every move. So in my last paragraph, I pointed my finger at the focal point of the whole camera crew and said... And he pointed straight down the aisle. We've had enough, Richard Nixon. We've had enough, Republicans. Your obscene acts are more than we can handle. And all I can say is, my finger drew an arc from where it was to the stooping figure of Bill. The cameras followed. We're just sick about it. 
Okay, okay, okay. So right there, right there, what has happened is they've get, gotten the media to pay attention to him at the convention, take drank Ipecac five minutes before and timed it so that the cameras would catch them all throwing up in the middle of the ser- in the middle of their dinner, right? Right, right. Right, right, right. And so did you puke? Well, were you they, they, the they, person? Oh no, I wasn't. I was. I was actually in, in the real life. Okay, we're taking fiction and reality. In real life, I was the one giving the talk here. Oh, yeah. So this. Oh. So uh, what? So did did you puke though? Oh, everyone did. Oh yeah, even spectators. Oh, my God. That <laughs> even spectators started to that puke by that time. Terrible. So. Oh God, I would hate that. That was but, pretty gross. It was pretty gross. Oh yeah, it sounds terrible. And then. And then what happened? So you're on the news puking the whole time? Well, let me read the last paragraph because this is what happened. Uh, At least four spectators turned white. Another yippie lost it, and the cameras turned to her. Then another, then another. Between the nine of us, we puked for a half hour. And every time someone puked, someone heaved, someone else grabbed the the megaphone and gave another reason why the Republicans made us sick. We all had time to say everything that came to our minds, and the cameras had a field day. But then their editors got hold of their film and censored the whole thing. The Miami Herald mentioned it in one word, disgusting. Oh, my <laughs> but God. But the rest of the straight media wouldn't touch it. I couldn't figure it out. He shook his head in sarcastic confusion. And as hard as we tried, the world's first media-oriented pukian was no match for any given day's worth of obscenity by Nixon and company. And he got extensive coverage for everything he did. So it remains for the people's media to tell the story of the Yippie Pukin of the summer of 72. In my heart and my notebook, I vowed to include the story in my first book. (laughs) And, of course, Bierkens on the side of the road with my first book. Yes, yes, yes. And you know what I think about, like, nowadays? Like, that would be around the world in five seconds. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah, sure. five seconds. Everybody uh-huh. in the world would know about that. And they that. couldn't have censored it because everybody, yeah. all the media would have been on it. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Okay, so um, just for time's sake, I'm going to go to jail, um, kind of fighting jail in Houston. And then I think the fact that you met your wife uh, hitchhiking. And then Charlie. Um... Yeah. Okay. So first, um, jail. Okay. So sometimes hitchhikers got arrested. It's true. Right? It's true. I got busted in Houston. You got busted in Houston and, and not always, right? Oh, I, those... I traveled all over the country many times. Right. And so what made, what makes somebody get busted hitchhiking? If the cop is, uh, passes by and sees you and needs, needs, uh, needs an arrest, needs an arrest for the record, you know, end of the month, you know. Oh. So so I got busted for hitchhiking, yeah. but it turned out I had a couple joints on me, and the cop yeah, had a yeah. field day. You know, yeah, you, yeah. had an orgasm right there, just uh, yeah, through yeah. Jail. And so when, uh, so so in Houston, and in this book, you kind of hate Houston. <laughs> it, it was a not fun experience for you, and you go, um, you get put in jail, and and you somehow meet up with like a you get a lawyer. Or, I mean, not a lawyer. Like, there's someone sort of helping you, but they're sort of shady, too. Isn't that right? Um, i, I got to remember the details. The, uh, and you're walking all over town. It's just kind of a ridiculous story. So tell me a little bit about that. Boy, i got to remember it now. 
Um, well, well, I think the the most interesting things for me is yeah, sort okay. of like uh, I have to go register at this place, so I got to walk all the way across town and find out that that's not the right place to go. I have to go all the way over to this place, and the whole time you're trying to basically like. Pay someone, I think, to defend you in court. Well, I, I found a public defender. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they will defend you for low cost or no cost. I right. think it was $100 I had to pay him. Right. Uh, I can't remember where I got the money. I certainly didn't have it on me. I think a friend sent it to me. Right. But um, but uh, they wanted me to cop a deal, you know, cop yeah. a plea. Yeah. Um, I think I ultimately did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I wanted to hit the road again, and I, didn't, I wasn't going to— I, I couldn't afford to stick around town. Right, right, certainly, right. Certainly. Right, right. I mean, what I should have done in retrospect, um, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know there was a, there was a Cleveland, Texas. Uh, and if I, had, if I had said that I was from a, a local, you know, from a, yeah. a, a Texas, they might have let me out right away in my own recognizance. Oh, uh, wow. So I didn't know that. If I had said I was from Cleveland and just let it at that... It, right. would, it would have been true because I'm from Cleveland, but they would have thought I was from Cleveland, Texas, and, sure, and maybe sure. let me off right away. But sure. then again, they probably wouldn't have anyhow. It was but Texas. It, yeah, and, but it com- becomes this whole thing, and you end up staying with a, guy, a random person that you meet in his house who is a writer. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was— um, In Houston, Yeah, that, right? was, that was Charlie. I think that was Charlie. Oh, no, no, no. Charlie's at the end with the boat. See, you're, you're helping me because it's been, <laughs> been so long since I read the book. I can't remember. the. Was that Bill? No, no, no. Remember, um, there's the guy, and he's sort of like, kind of like oh. a mentor, but also, um, it, like, it ends up that he's he's living strangely. Oh, I can't think of it. Yeah, okay. We don't have to dig it out. Sorry, sorry, listeners out. here. It's been a while since yeah. I read the books. I don't well, remember. And, and it's okay. Yeah, the okay. thing to know is uh, Henry is having ran- the random adventures that you have when you just trust moving around well, that was with beauty. strangers. Yeah, that, yeah. that was reality. That's then, what just he's doing. Going with the, whichever way the wind blows. That was, yeah. that was kind of the philosophy then. In fact, I used to have a uh, – I used to use um, uh, shopping bags – for signs, because the shopping bag, if you look at the way they're, uh, if you look at the way it's folded, yeah. you can create like four or five different signs from the same shopping bag. Uh, so one of them that I would use was was whichever way the wind blows. Yeah, uh, you know, people pick me up there. Well, I had one that said home to, home to do laundry. Uh, oh yeah. You know, uh, one time I was hitching through a town where I had learned that there had been a series of of uh, arrests. It was near mm-hmm. near a jail, and mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, uh, some some uh, prisoners had, had escaped, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I had a, uh, a sign that said I am unarmed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love it. Oh, and to, okay, let's go here then. Um, you met your wife hitchhiking. No, no, I didn't meet her hitchhiking, but we did a lot of hitchhiking together. Oh, you yeah. met her in Ohio or Michigan? No, we met in Lansing at that time. We were oh. living in Lansing. Yeah, she was. Uh, she had come there from as she describes it, a dumb, stupid marriage. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, which only lasted about a year, mm-hmm. uh, but it brought her to Lansing, and I was living in Lansing at the time. I was uh, uh, had gone to Michigan State. I had dropped out from Michigan State, but mm-hmm, stayed around mm-hmm. for the anti-war movement, and uh, uh, and so uh, we had met there, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a beautiful relationship. We we met uh, love at first sight. Yeah, you know we've been together for forty two years. Yeah, and um, and she's a good one. Yes, um, she is, and. Uh, 
so talk about you two hitchhiking together and your your wedding announcement. Oh, um, well, the wedding announcement said uh, said Emily and Ken are finally getting hitched. Um, but we got married in 19... We met in 77. 1977 uh-huh. got married in 1979. And our um, our wedding invitation showed us... Uh, we were standing on uh, the side of the road in Austin. A friend of ours got on the hood of his car and looked down at us and got a picture uh, with uh, me with my arm around her, wearing my backpack, her with her, her right arm... Her right thumb out, uh, holding yeah. our cat... Um, oh my gosh! So with a cat. So we were, yeah, oh yeah, Ernestine Hemingway was our cat, oh and um, anyhow, the caption said Emily and Ken are finally getting hitched. Oh, I uh, love it. It would have normally been a pretty dumb pun, but the fact that we'd been hitchhiking for so many right, years right. made it more relevant. So, did a lot of people hitchhike to your wedding? No, no I don't think anybody did. Really? <laughs> I, I come from the suburbs. Oh, uh, it seems like people would have. You would have thought. You would have thought to your yeah. wedding, like friends that you'd met. Yeah, you know, would have thought that. But I guess maybe. You know, it probably wasn't an era where friends that you hitchhiked with, you probably didn't have like an address book for them because they were <laughs> right, just right. wandering around. Like, where would you? Didn't s- put them in my cell phone, not in yeah, 1979. Well, plus, like, yeah. you, you might have like traveled with someone for a month or two, but where are you going to mail something? Not where gonna are you going to yeah. mail an invitation to a wedding when you hitchhike all the time? You have great adventures and you never see them again. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. time in, in Los Angeles, I got hit, picked up by. The same woman who had picked me up the same day, the, the previous day. That never happened. Wow. That never happened, yeah. Oh, really? Just like, oh, hey, you want to go to the same place again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, another, I feel like the Charlie thing is significant because at some point you, um, it's like you're trying to figure out what to do post-Houston and you're kind of heading, it, it's almost like you're doing a loop going down and then back up again. Uh, towards the East Coast and getting um, jobs in seaside cities. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bar Harbor. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's with Charlie. And it's this little sweet life that you guys set up just for a minute, right? Isn't it just you and him and his dog? Yeah, just and for a And you kind of jump in on his life for a minute there. Yeah. And they're... you guys are going to do this, like, fisherman thing. And it seems so sweet. And then you do this great job of describing what happens to a place when it goes from being sweet and charming and romantic to being just sort of like cold and dumb and <laughs> like yucky. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. There, there were two. Charlie was actually two characters. Um, <laughs> when I lived in Austin with my wife. Uh, this was before we got married. We were actually living in Austin when we decided to get married. Yeah. Uh, but then we moved up to Cleveland, Ohio, because that's where most of my, my family lives. But um, but we met. We lived in an apartment then, and about two doors down from us, there was a couple, um, and and the the guy was Native American, and uh, he he taught me a lot about the Native American life and, and you know, being very spiritual, um, and and so part of Charlie comes from him. Uh, another part of Charlie, though, comes from my friend Jerry, who uh, who traveled with me, and uh, we actually did do Bar Harbor together. Mm-hmm. That was Charlie. That was uh, Jerry and me. Uh, in fact, when Jerry read the book, he said, "How come you made me a Native American?" <laughs> but, but, <laughs> You're like, "Don't t- it's not all about you, Jerry." Yeah, there you um, go. So, I uh, wanted to think of. Okay, so. This is, you know, 
autobiographical for sure. And do you feel like you're living out Henry's dream? Uh, I mean, because really you were the dreaming writer, hitchhiking around, dreaming of being a writer. Well, I'm, I still feel like I'm on the road. I'm still writing. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, yeah. 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 I'm traveling a lot. Uh, certainly Henry wanted to travel. Uh, yeah. my, my life right now is, is uh, and it took me 70 years to get here, mm-hmm. but my life now is totally not nine to five at all. Mm-hmm. I'm totally on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, things have, it's been okay. You know, you keep the vision. Yeah. You know, yeah, got to fantasize and then uh, yeah. live the fantasies. That was that was the whole idea. You got to live your fantasy. That was yeah. that was the theme of the of the book. Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating. And and there's that sense of, you know, when I think about, um, I'm going to tie it back to the cannabis industry. Go ahead. <laughs> but that that thing that some people would go like, oh, I would never hitchhike. You know. And but there's this whole community of people out there doing it. Mm-hmm. That whole 25 year period, whatever it is, there was this whole great little groovy community out having adventures, not really hurting anyone, unless it was you know a rogue, terrible person, but no more so than the general population, you know. And then um, that fear of cannabis, and and it, what's interesting is the switch from sort of that straight laced middle-class thing over to being the roving adventurer kind of hinges on that That experience and that was a huge break yeah and i think about that with um the the places where there's still fear about cannabis and when i talk to those people it catches me by surprise because a lot of times i'm swimming around in the pond with people who they've accepted it forever you know it's nothing but sometimes I, i i caught myself this past weekend um with someone who just like, well, I don't really believe it does it much. And I just, and it was so shocking to me because I'm like, well, what about personal experience? What about research? What about people whose like children are cured from seizures? What about, you know, what about PTSD? What about autism? What about, you know, and they just kind of had decided to be willfully ignorant. And I could tell it was keeping them from so much joy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So part of me, absolutely. No, part that's of, a choice. Yeah, part of being an activist is kind of like, Oh, dude, you got to let go of that. Like, life is much better when you accept, not that I'm better than you, but right now you're holding tension and fear around something that is not a fearful thing. No reason for it. No reason for it. You're just holding fear and judgment and wanting to criminalize something that's just a thing. I remember when my, yeah. when my best friend growing up, when my, one of my best friend's uh, brother, who was a couple years older than us, uh, he, so he went to college before we did, and he got busted. Uh, and it was a huge scandal, huge scandal in the little suburb where I grew up. Uh, and I think it probably probably messed him up. I, I don't know. I haven't seen right. it in years. But right. I'm guessing it really messed him up bad. Uh, right. And, Everyone's and, reaction and it was to just, it. And it was just for getting high, just yeah. for getting high. And we sat, we sat and we talked about, you know, not only is it just a plant and it's a good thing, but even the idea of prohibition. Like, remember that prohibition of alcohol didn't even work. Mm-hmm. That was bad, too. That yeah, also no, that created crazy. crime. That, was crazy. that also created, you know, gangs. That also created death. That also created orphans, you know. But it wasn't really, like, the alcohol's not a great thing. It's going to, like, kill some people. But 
not many as people, not nearly as many people as Prohibition killed. No, absolutely, absolutely. And the money spent on jails, and I'm trying to communicate this to this guy, who I think of as being like a pretty sharp business owner, but he's just kind of like not too worried about it, realize like activism, you have to have a personal encounter with some injustice to really, I mean, I'm impressed with people who don't have a personal encounter with injustice and still become activists, Mm -hmm. but when you just get arrested for no reason. Then suddenly you're like, well, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like this should not be true. And then, um, I guess if you live a certain insulated type of lifestyle, you may never know someone who just got raided and put in jail and separated from their family because they grew weed. Yeah. It's hard, you to, know, believe, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Some people who have This guy yeah. kind of didn't even, Oh, well it's legal now. That's not happening. I'm like, uh, people got raided last week, last week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's traumatized families. And they still families. have the records. They still have the records. Yeah. yeah. There's people trying to get this off the record just so they can get a job, like, in sales, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> because they used to grow weed, a plant. It's, it's, and, and they're so, they've been thinking about it in a certain way for so long that it's really hard to change that opinion. Right. And the irony is it actually is good for you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, yeah, it's so weird. It's I mean, so with weird. all the people who, who swear by the medical benefits of it. I mean, I love it, but, you know, still, when I, right, think, right. When I think of the medical benefits, I said, oh, yeah, that's a good way to get it free. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, because we used to do it just for the high and, yeah. and enjoy it, um, but it really, it really is medically good. Yeah, you know, it helps yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, so um, we're wrapping up, I think, because he's got to get on the road. And uh, we can go out. I think there's another song, another uh, hitchhiking song in there by Johnny Rodriguez or something. Do you see that one? Yeah, I think we can go on. Do you know that song? Don't know that. He's he's a crooner. Okay, he's okay. a lovely crooner. Got a lot of great hitchhiking songs. I know. Uh-huh. I can't wait to make this playlist. So. Oh, my gosh. Uh, thanks so much for coming back, Ken. That's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for making it out. And uh, hopefully we're not all trapped in here together forever. <laughs> hopefully it hasn't would be nice. snowed like I did a lot seven. of hitchhiking in the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully everybody will be safe out there. And um, until next time, this has been Shelly Smith with yeah. Reads and Weeds. And, and, and yeah, and get the book. Get the book. Yes, Beer Cans on the Side of the Road. You can either look it up on Amazon. You can go on a Zinfony Press. And yes. Go from a Zinfony Press. That go way from I a Zinfony Press. That way I can sign it for you. Yes. If you get it on yes. Amazon, I won't sign it because it goes straight from Amazon. Somebody has a used copy, we'll yeah. send it to you. But if you, send, yeah. if you go to a Zinfony Press, it goes to me and I'll sign yeah. it before I send or it. Or I'll send you Ken's direct home address. <laughs> go to his house sure. and get it. Actually, he's having a Thanksgiving party. We'll just invite you to that. He'll have some books there. It's always a really good time. Okay. Is it on? Is it coming up? All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Beer cans on the side of the road. Ken Waxberger. We're out. Yes. Bye. Mexico. It don't matter when or how I go. If there's any place I haven't been at all, that's where I'll go. So I'm 